You are listening to Audio Fanfic Podcast. Twelve Rites of Passage by Paula Graves, also known as Anne Haynes. Chapter 9, Regression. Warehouse District, Baltimore, Maryland, February 16, 1998, 7.02 p.m. The warehouse was dimly lit outside and in, deep purple shadows shifting and dancing with every movement inside. On a catwalk two floors above, the man in gray struck a match and touched the flame to the tip of his morley. Smoke billowed momentarily, clouding his vision, but it drifted away soon, giving him a clear view of the warehouse floor below. How many places like this had he seen over the years? Had he ever bothered to keep count, he'd have lost count long ago. Suffice it to say that what he now saw was nothing new, at least not in theory. But in practice, the woman on the table was in her early thirties, Caucasian, unremarkable looking. Wavy brown hair tangled around her head. Her build was slim, lanky, ordinary. Her eyes were shut, but he knew they were nondescript hazel green color. Were he to pass her on the street, he might think her a pleasant looking young woman, not beautiful, not striking, a woman of no consequence. But appearances could be deceiving, for Sarah Elizabeth Chandler was a dangerous woman who had made dangerous connections. There were those among his colleagues who felt that her continued existence was too risky. But the man in gray had assured them that once the reconditioning was completed, Sarah Chandler would be no threat at all. On the contrary, her very existence might be a very important asset. They had relented, and Sarah was brought to this warehouse to have her memories reburied again. The smoking man turned to the slim man in the white lab coat who stood beside him. Why is this taking so long? Her cover memories were becoming corrupted, the doctor replied. We've had to strip them away first. It had to be done delicately. The mind is a fragile thing. So now she knows who she really is? She knows who she was. She also knows who she became. How much longer before she no longer remembers? We believe the final reconditioning will be finished by the end of the week. That will give us time to reconstruct her cover memories as well as create memories to explain her whereabouts over the past couple of weeks. The smoking man nodded. Good, good. She is extraordinarily resistant. Her earlier conditioning was far less difficult. She was a child then. Did you know her before? The doctor glanced at him, his brown eyes curious. The smoking man took a deep draw of his cigarette. He released the smoke, obscuring his face. No, he said. Margaret Scully's house, 7.08 p.m. Mulder stared at his partner. You underwent hypnotic regression therapy? Just once. Scully looked down at the tape in her hands, not meeting his eyes. When was this, honey? Margaret leaned forward in her chair. Just after I came back from New Mexico, after Mulder... Scully's throat bobbed quickly, and she looked up at Mulder. For a second, her expression was raw with pain, making his breath catch. 
Then she quickly schooled her features and returned her eyes to the cassette tape in her hands. I'd just found the implant in the back of my neck and had no memory of how it had gotten there. Missy convinced me that I had to try to remember. She gave me Dr. Pomerantz's name. And you underwent hypnosis? Scully's forehead creased. I tried. I didn't think it was getting anywhere, but... But? Mulder encouraged. She held up the audio cassette tape. This is a copy of Dr. Pomerantz's notes after my session. I listened to it in the car on the way here. Apparently, I told him a lot more than I remember. She crossed to the stereo system near the fireplace and put the tape into the deck. She pushed a button, and a soft, pleasant voice began to speak. What I'm going to do is induce a non-ordinary state, a modified form of hypnosis that involves what is called holotropic breathwork. Mulder sat forward, listening to the therapist explain the procedure. Dr. Heitz Verber had used a somewhat different form of hypnotherapy during his own hypnotic regression sessions, but Mulder was familiar with holotropic breathwork from his own education in psychology. Now what I want you to do is maintain a focus on your breath. Relax your breathing. Now I want you to close your eyes now and think of a place where you've always felt completely comfortable and safe. Mulder looked at Scully. Her eyes were on her mother, and he realized he knew exactly what place she had imagined when she closed her eyes during her session with Dr. Pomerantz. She felt safe here with her mother. He could sympathize. Tell me why you're here, Dana. I need to remember something that happened to me. On the tape, Scully's voice was tight and faint. Mulder recognized her reluctance, her feeling of ambivalence. She hadn't really wanted to be there in Dr. Pomerantz's office, yet she desperately wanted to know what had happened to her during those lost months. He reached over and closed his hand over hers where it lay in her lap. She turned her head and met his gaze, her expression betraying her discomfort. On the tape, she told Dr. Pomerantz about the time she had been missing, her memory loss, and the implant in her neck. Her voice grew fainter, more hesitant. You told me of your experience of being taken away and losing time, Dr. Pomerantz said. Do you remember how you felt just before this happened? I was afraid. On the tape, Scully's voice was slurred, weary. There was a brief pause before Pomerantz asked, Do you remember what you were afraid of? Mulder could hear soft, cerserative sounds. Then Scully spoke. That I would die. Her voice faded away to a sigh at the end. But you didn't die. Someone must have cared for you. Do you remember who that someone was? There were men. A man took me. I... Mulder's throat tightened. He looked over at Scully. She was sitting still as a sculpture, her eyes downcast. On the tape, her slurred voice continued. There was a light, loud sounds. My ears were pounding. They performed a procedure on you. Do you remember any pain during this? I'm trying. The sound is all screwed up. There's an alarm. I remember, um, they wanted to know if I was all right. 
Maybe you trusted them not to hurt you. Could this be possible? I don't know. For a second, the voice on the tape sounded like the scully Mulder knew. Stronger, tinged with impatience at the slow process of unearthing her memories. At the FBI, you worked with people you must entrust with your life. Could it have been one of these people? Dr. Pomerantz asked. I had to trust someone. Scully sounded surprised on the tape, as if the faint memory was unexpected. Then her voice softened and darkened with pain. I was powerless. I couldn't... I could not resist them. Mulder tightened his grip on her hand as they listened to her voice fade away. He watched the almost imperceptible parade of dark emotions washing over her profile, wishing he could spare her the pain of these revelations. Dr. Pomerantz spoke quickly. If this is too painful, I want you to go back to that comfortable place where we began and try again. There was a gasp of surprise, a quick no, then Scully's voice, shaky and disoriented sounding. I'm sorry, I'm trying, I'm trying. Her voice gathered strength. I don't think this is working. I don't think we're getting anywhere. The tape picked up a faint rustling sound, the soft tapping noise of footsteps. Something about that sound tickled the memory hidden in Mulder's mind. Something about a bridge. Thank you, but you'll have to excuse me. Scully's voice again, stronger, slightly clipped, barely hinting at her earlier distress, then the sound of the door closing. There was a click, as if Dr. Pomerantz turned off the recorder. A second later, another click heralded the therapist's low, modulated tones. I suspect that Ms. Scully will not return for a second session. She seems remarkably resistant to hypnotic regression techniques, despite her obvious distress and not knowing what happened to her during her missing time. I sense that she fears knowing what happened more than she fears not knowing at this time. I am certain, based on even this abbreviated session, that Miss Scully's experiences are not dissimilar to the experiences revealed by her sister Melissa in our therapy sessions. However, unless Dana Scully chooses to resume therapy, I am powerless to help her remove the barriers between her conscious mind and the memories embedded deep in her subconscious. There was another click, and Scully crossed to the tape player. She removed the tape and slowly turned to face Mulder and her mother. That's all there is. I don't remember any of it after my initial explanation of why I was there. Mulder glanced at Margaret Scully, whose face was creased with concern. Mrs. Scully met his gaze, her eyebrows lifting slightly. Mulder made a little shrugging motion, then turned to watch Scully's slow, bemused approach. He stood, holding out his hand. For a second, she stared at his outstretched palm, as if she wasn't sure what he wanted her to do. Then she lifted her hand and slipped her fingers into his gentle grip. He closed his hand around hers and drew her back to the sofa. They sat together, bodies close. She sandwiched his hand between both of hers. I don't know what these memories mean, Mulder. I listen to myself speak and I sound like a stranger. Those things I said, I have no conscious memory of any of it. The sounds, someone to trust. She shook her head. Maybe you should undergo hypnosis again, Dana, Mrs. Scully suggested. 
Mulder looked over at Scully's mother, surprised but grateful she had been the one to bring up the subject. He agreed. Scully's memories were obviously too deeply buried for her to be able to unearth them without help. But she was more likely to accept the suggestion from her mother than from him, considering their many disagreements over the years about the value of hypnosis as a mnemonic tool. Mom, you heard the tape. It wasn't working. Honey, you were fighting it. Maybe you just didn't feel comfortable with Dr. Pomerantz. I don't feel comfortable with the notion that a science as inexact and open to charlatanry as hypnosis could have any real value beyond the most general therapeutic benefits. I certainly don't believe that memories recovered by regression hypnosis are the least bit trustworthy. So don't take it as truth, Scully, Mulder said softly. Just look at it as therapy, a way to ease some of your fears. She jerked her head around to meet his gaze, her hands releasing his. How could it ease my fears? Because you're afraid of what's buried in your subconscious, Scully, that your imagination has created a monster far more threatening than even the real monster could be. By undergoing regression hypnotherapy, you may not be able to identify the monster, but at least you can look it in the eye and show it you're not afraid anymore. She stared at him her pale face revealing the full scope of her fear. He wanted to pull her into his arms and wrap himself around her, protect her from all that would conspire to cause her pain and harm. But he didn't have that power, only she did, and he had to trust her to fight her own demons. I can call Dr. Verber. No, she shook her head. I'm not putting his life in danger, not after what happened to Dr. Pomerantz. You don't think his death might have been a coincidence? Mrs. Scully asked. Scully looked across at her mother. As much as I'd like to believe that, I can't. He was killed right after his session with me, and both my file and Melissa's are missing. She turned to Mulder. I'm not putting another life in danger with this. We could arrange a secret meeting, he began. She shook her head violently. No, Mulder. What if Fox regressed you? Mrs. Scully asked. Mulder looked up quickly at Scully's mother. Mrs. Scully, I'm not a trained hypnotherapist, but you are familiar with the procedures. You told that yourself. Yes, but could you do it, Mulder? Scully put her hand on his arm. He looked at her, surprised. You want me to do this? Her lip crooked slightly. Want might be an overstatement of the situation. He chuckled, releasing just a bit of burgeoning tension. I'm really not trained for it, Scully, and I know what you think about the whole process. We don't have time for my memories to return on their own, Mulder, since they're not exactly in any hurry. Deborah Bennett said that my lost memories might hold the key to finding Sarah Chandler and finding out what happened to Samantha. I'm not that optimistic, but I'm desperate enough to take drastic measures. He touched her face tracing the curve of her jawline from her ear to her chin. You're a trooper, Scully. Her little half-grin twitched a notch higher. Bet you say that to all the girls, Mulder. The smile faded and a little crease of tension formed in her brow. So what now? I think we should do it here, now, before you have time to work yourself into a nervous state. And I think this is a place where you feel safe. 
He glanced over at Scully's mother, who was watching them with a bemused half-smile on her face. Scully nodded. I do feel safe here. He looked into her eyes, seeking the depth of her resolve. So? She lifted her chin, a look of sheer determination darkening her eyes. She took a deep breath. Let's do it, she said. 8.03 p.m. Scully looked down at her clasped hands, noting that she'd chipped a nail sometime over the course of the day. She couldn't remember how. Then again, apparently, she couldn't remember a lot of things. Down the hall, she could hear the soft murmur of Mulder and her mother conversing in low tones. Mulder had suggested, and Scully had agreed, that it might be best for her mother to wait in another room. Uncertain about what horrors she might have undergone during her missing time, Scully knew she'd find her mother's presence in the room inhibiting. It was very sensitive of Mulder to realize that, but he'd also promised to call her mother back into the room if she needed her. He returned to the living room and crossed slowly to her, lifting the armchair and pulling it closer to the sofa where Scully sat. He sat and bent forward slightly so that he could rest his hand atop hers. Before we get started, I want you to decide now how you want to control this session. Control it? He nodded. I want you to be in control of what happens in your regressive state, Scully. I want you to feel that you can safely explore any dark areas, no matter how frightening they may appear, because you can escape them at any time. Like Dr. Pomerantz told you, we're going to have a safe, secure place where you can go at any time that the session is too frightening for you. Let's decide right now where that is. Right here, he nodded. This room? She shook her head. The kitchen. I'm sitting at the table and my mother is at the stove making dad's favorite chili. A faint smile touched his lips. Good choice. Okay. Ready? She nodded. He let go of her hand and reached into his jacket for his microcassette recorder. They had agreed that taping the session was important. Would you feel more comfortable sitting or lying down? Sitting, she said immediately. She didn't know why. She only knew that Dr. Pomerantz had asked the same question and she'd given the same quick answer. Okay, like Dr. Pomerantz explained to you, what we're going to try to do is focus on your breathing to help you reduce your external awareness of your surroundings. I want you to stop thinking analytically and let yourself relax. He lifted his hand to her face, gently brushing his fingers over her eyelids, closing her eyes. You're going to go deep inside yourself, into your center. You breathe slowly and deeply. Feel your lungs pulling air inside. Feel the muscles pushing air back out. Slowly, in and out. She matched her breathing with the calm, rhythmic cadence of his voice. You can feel the sofa supporting your body. You can relax completely because the sofa is strong and can take all your weight. Feel the back of the sofa pressing gently against your spine, taking all your weight. The cushions under your legs are enveloping them, helping you feel very peaceful, very relaxed. Her limbs grew warm and heavy. Her breathing evened. Her mind went inward. 
Mulder's voice was like soothing music playing deep in her mind. Now, Scully, we're going into your mother's kitchen. It's a bright, sunny Saturday afternoon, and you're sitting at the table watching your mother stir the chili. The sun is warm on your face. You look out the window, and you can see the hummingbird feeder. There's a hummingbird feeding. He's beautiful, isn't he? Yes. You feel very happy, very safe. You can see the hummingbird. You can hear the soft sound of the breeze rustling the leaves outside. You turn and look at your mother. What is she doing now? She's putting in a teaspoon of cocoa in the chili. Scully's mouth curved in a smile. Shh, that's the secret ingredient. Is anyone else here? No, just mom and me. This is our time. You feel very safe with your mom. Yes. And you know that no matter what happens from here on out, you can always come right back here to the kitchen with your mom. Yes. Good. But right now, Scully, I want you to relax even more and go back to that place deep inside you, down to your core. You are very, very calm, very relaxed, and yet your mind is alert. Now, I want you to go back several years. It's a couple of days after you helped me through the hostage situation, remember? You talked me through it, through that scary time. I was afraid, Scully, afraid Dwayne Barry would kill me, but I could hear your voice in my ear telling me that you were watching out for me, and I wasn't so afraid anymore because you'd never let anyone hurt me, and I knew it. And that's what I want you to know now, Scully. I want you to hear me in your ear now. Know that I won't let anyone or anything hurt you now. I know that. Her tongue felt thick. To her own ears, her voice sounded slurred. Good. Now, you and I are going to have a little signal between us, okay? Whenever we come across a situation that's too frightening for you, I'm going to count to three and put my hand on your knee. When you feel the warmth, the weight on your knee, you'll know that I'm there, that I'm going to stop the bad thing from happening so we can step back for a moment and regroup, okay? Yes. Now, I want you to go back to a couple of days after Dwayne Barry was shot. The doctors had found something in his abdomen. Do you remember what it was? It was a piece of metal, like shrapnel. What did Dwayne Barry say it was? A probe. I come into your office and we talk about the metal. You tell me you're going to do something with it. What do you do with it? I take it to ballistics. They run a test on it. We find something strange. Etchings. Mulder's voice seemed closer somehow, inside her. What kind of etchings? They look like... She hesitated, remembering how foolish she'd thought the idea at first. They look like some kind of barcode. I decide to take it home with me. I'm not really sure why. Do you go straight home? No, 
No, I stop at a grocery store. Then what happens? You stop at the grocery store. The clerk is walking away, and I remember how the metal seemed to have a barcode. I'm curious. What do you do, Scully? Do you take the implant out of your purse? My pocket. I take it from my pocket. I'm just curious. I don't expect what happens. What happens, Scully? Her brow furrowed. I pass the vial over the scanner, and the scanner display goes wild. The clerk comes running back. I leave quickly. Do you go home then? Yes, I go home, and I don't even turn on all the lights. I dial your home phone number. Damn it, it's the machine. You leave a message. I tell you that something strange happened to me. Oh... I hear a noise outside. My skin crawls. I know that something's... something's not right. Oh, God! She flailed her arm, seeing the scene unfolding in front of her. The blinds parting to reveal Dwayne Barry, lit by a flash of lightning. Mulder! The scream tore from her throat as she relived the moment when Barry burst through her window, shattering glass, splintering wood. He was surprisingly fast and forceful as he grabbed her. Mulder, I need your help. I'm right here, Scully. Hear me in your ear. His voice was faint, far away, much farther away than Dwayne Barry's hands grabbing at her, pulling her with him. He was amazingly strong considering his injury, she thought, one part of her mind still functioning with the clinical detachment hammered into her by years on the job. But another part of her was shrieking in terror. Mulder! I'm here, Scully. Remember what I told you. When I put my hand over your knee, it's our signal to step back for a moment to get away from the frightening situation. On the count of three, I'm going to touch your knee, and then I'll be there in the room with you, and I'll stop him. One, two, three. She felt the warmth and weight of his hand on her knee, and her panic began to rapidly subside. Mulder! Right here with you, Scully. He was there in the room, standing between her and Dwayne Barry. She focused on her breathing, on slowing it, steadying her heart rate. Better. Good. Scully, in order to find out what happened, I'm going to have to let Dwayne Barry take you. But remember, you're in control. We're going along for the ride, but you can back out any time you want. All you have to do is go back to your mother's kitchen. Now, tell me what's happening. He's tying me up. I'm struggling, but he's so strong. How can he be so strong? He was just shot. She shook her head, terror rising again. He, I I'm bleeding. I can feel the blood trickling down my forehead. He puts a gag in your mouth and takes you out to your car. Yes. The carpet in the trunk burns my cheek as I skid across it. He's not gentle. Pain stung her cheek as she relived the memory. The ropes are tight. A moaning sound escaped her throat. My arms are aching already. How long are you in the trunk? I hear music. Muffled, strange. The sounds are all screwed up. She frowned. Is this what I was remembering from before? I don't know. Tell me what you're remembering now. I hear, oh 
God, Mulder, I hear a siren. Mulder, it's a siren. Someone's looking for me. You sent someone to look for me. Excitement roiled in her breast, speeding up her breathing. Tell me what happens then. The car is pulling to a stop. I can feel the difference in the speed, in the sound of the engine. Dwayne Barry pulls to a stop, and then... I hear voices. A man. I think he's asking Dwayne Barry to step out of the car. I've got to find some way to let him know I'm here. I can't let him walk away. She made a soft, keening sound of desperation. I need his help. Focus on your breathing, Scully. Focus on staying calm. Deep breaths. In, out. She followed Mulder's voice, the worst of her panic subsiding. I need his help. I tried to move, tried to bang against the trunk so that he'll know. Oh! She jerked back as a phantom sound echoed in her head. Oh, God, no! Tell me what's happening, Scully. Oh, God, no, God, no. She shook her head from side to side. Oh, please, God. Scully, I'm here. Feel my hand on your knee. One, two, three. The warmth. The weight. Then she felt his presence there in the dark trunk, his arms holding her, keeping her safe. She let his presence soothe her again. Tell me what you're seeing, Scully. Be my eyes. She nodded, taking courage from his admission of need. She could do it for him. There's nothing but silence, and I know that whoever stopped the car is dead. He's dead, and it's my fault. A hot tear trickled down her cheek. It's my fault. Scully, you didn't do anything wrong. Mulder's voice was strong in her ear, strong and yet achingly gentle. Now tell me what you're seeing. He's opening the trunk. I'm sure he's going to kill me now, too. Panic threatened to surge to the surface again, but she concentrated on the feel of Mulder's hand on her knee, and she was able to stop it. But he just looks at me. Does he say anything to you? Yes. She creased her brow, remembering. He says he's not going to hurt me, that we have to meet someone. Does he tell you you have to meet? No, but he doesn't have to. I heard what he said to you in the travel agency, Mulder. I know he thinks we're going to meet an alien ship. Fear and anger coiled in her gut. Damn it, when that ship doesn't show up, my life's not worth anything to him anymore. I've got to find a way out of this. Tears squeezed from her eyes. Mulder, I need you to come get me, please, Mulder. Scully's soft plea curled around Mulder's heart, and his hand shook where it lay on Scully's knee. I'm here, Scully. I'm right here. He fought his rising anguish, forcing his own breathing to stay calm and focused. Remember, whenever this gets too hard, we can go back to your safe place. He watched her struggle to regain control over her burgeoning panic. Tears rolled down her cheeks, and he wanted to reach up and brush them away, but touching her face might break her focus and propel her out of the hypnagogic state, so he remained still. Okay. Okay. Her voice was a little stronger. I'm okay. Where are you now? In the trunk. We've been driving up an incline. I can feel the slant of the car. I've rolled to the front of the trunk. There's something beneath my cheek, something small and metallic. What is it? 
He suspected he knew, remembering the tiny cross pendant he'd found in the trunk of the car when he had reached the top of Skyland Mountain. But he didn't try to lead her. I can't tell. It's pitch black in here, and my hands are tied behind my back. I can't breathe very well, Mulder. I feel closed in. Her breathing grew shallow, rapid. She was hyperventilating. I, I can't breathe. Yes, you can, Scully. I want you to take a long, deep breath and hold it as long as you can. That's it. Do it again, in rhythm. Deep breath. Hold it until I count to five, then release, then repeat it. He helped her get her breathing back under control, breathing with her to calm himself. He'd known that taking Scully under hypnosis himself was going to be difficult, but he'd had no idea just how difficult. He felt as if he were reliving the whole nightmare, only it was worse now because before he had only had his imagination to tell him what she had gone through. Now he had the first-hand account relived in front of him, and it was worse than he'd ever imagined. Warehouse District, Baltimore, Maryland, 8.25 p.m. The man in gray crossed slowly to the examining table and bent over Sarah Chandler's still form. She was sleeping now, the doctors had told him, aided by a strong sedative. Her chest rose and fell in a slow, steady rhythm. He lay his hand on the young woman's bare shoulder, feeling her warmth beneath his fingers. Against her smooth skin, his nicotine-stained hand looked like sun-dried leather. Prominent veins and splotches of melanin bespoke his age. Once he'd been as young as this woman, young and certain that the world was his to conquer. He'd played the cards dealt to him with skill and passion, and he'd won more often than he'd lost, which was all that any man could really hope for in the end. The losses were calculated, prepared for, worth the ultimate gain. And he was not a cruel man. Whenever possible, he spared life, spared pain. By all rights, Sarah Chandler should be dead now, but he'd spared her, spared her even after the initial tests 25 years ago had revealed that, despite her unusual conception, she was a normal child. Bright and remarkably intuitive, certainly, but her parents were people of talent and intellect. She and the boy had been trailblazers without even realizing it, but not so special that the consortium had felt the need to keep them around. He had fought for her, for them, protected them. He looked down at her still, quiet form. Tender emotion was rare with him, so rare that it never ceased to surprise him when it surfaced, as it did now. Looking down at the girl, he remembered the faraway past. Sunlight filtering through the trees, dappling the carpeting of leaves on the ground, sparkling on the lake. Laughter. A young boy's shout of excitement. A little girl with chestnut brown hair and big hazel eyes begging for a piggyback ride. She had looked like her mother, and she'd thought he could do no wrong. He drew his hand away from the woman's shoulder and turned away. He left the main room, entering an access corridor and heading for the exit. He paused in the doorway to the outside and lit a cigarette. Smoke rushed into his lungs, filled him, calmed him. He exhaled. He left the warehouse, shrouded in smoke.
Mrs. Scully's house, 8.38 p.m. Whatever they gave me has immobilized me. I'm aware of my surroundings, but I can't move. Scully's voice was faint and tinged with fear. Do you want to move? Mulder fought to keep his voice steady, to remain calm for her, but the last few minutes had taxed his control as she'd relived in horrific detail the second abduction. Within minutes after Dwayne Barry had taken her to the top of Skyland Mountain, a black helicopter had alit. Men in dark, nondescript uniforms had taken her from Barry and thrown her in the back of the helicopter, bruised her, hurt her. His back ached from leaning forward to keep his hand on her knee, but he couldn't pull away. His hand on her knee was his link to her subconscious. Breaking that contact would seem as if he were abandoning her. I hate this feeling, her voice shook with anger. I hate feeling like I have no control over my own body. I want these bastards to let me go. Where are you? What do you see? I'm in a small, narrow room. It's a boxcar on a train. I can feel the movement of the train, the sound of the wheels clattering on the rails. Where are you in the room? On a table. It's an autopsy tray, she shuddered. The sensation vibrated up his tired arm. They're looking at me. He slid forward in the chair until he was sitting on the very edge. The movement eased a bit of the growing tension in his arm. How are they looking at you? Just looking? Or are they examining you? She shook her head. No, they're just looking at me. They're speaking to each other. Not in English. In Japanese? He asked. Yes, I think so. There's that Dr. Ishimaru. He seems to be in charge. He seems to be telling everyone else what to do. Do you know what he's telling them? Oh, God. Horror twisted her face and she started gasping for air. His stomach clenched. Focus on your breathing, Scully. No, please. What are they? I can feel that. She cried out, a sound of agonizing pain. No, it hurts. Scully, we're turning down the pain, just like turning the knob of a television set. We're lowering the volume of the pain. Tears squeezed from the corners of her eyes. They're cutting me, Mulder. They don't care that I can feel it. They aren't trying to anesthetize you? His voice came out in a choked whisper. No, they don't care. She made a soft whimper. He swallowed a flood of rage. Where are they cutting you, Scully? My abdomen, small incisions, three, maybe four, I can't tell, just the pain. She moaned, clenching her fists in her lap. Mulder closed his eyes for a second, forcing himself to remain calm. After a couple of steadying breaths, he asked, Do you know what they're doing to you? It's like laparoscopy. They're filling my abdomen with some sort of gas, distending it. She moaned again. It hurts. I know it hurts, Scully. I'm so sorry. It hurts. Tears burned his eyes, pooled above his lower eyelids, blurred his vision. I'm sorry they're doing this to you. You know I am. But remember the knob? Let's turn down the knob. Turn down the pain. He scooted off the chair, moved forward, and knelt right in front of her, his hand never leaving her knee. Now that the volume of pain is turned down, we can concentrate on other things, right? 
Can you tell me what they're trying to do to you? I feel the instruments moving around inside me, her forehead wrinkled. It's more horrifying than the pain, feeling them invade me, violate my body. I want to kill them for what they're doing to me. Tears ran unchecked down his cheeks. I'm so sorry, Scully. I feel the same way. You know I do. The rage and fear in her face softened. I know. I think about you as this is happening to me. I wonder what you're doing. Are you worrying about me? Are you blaming yourself? I don't want to die this way without telling you goodbye. He choked back a low sob. I'm thinking about you too, Scully. I'm wondering about you. Wondering if you know. He stopped himself, fighting to regain his control over the session. He had to take his own step back out of the horrific nightmare vision she was showing him. He had to stay grounded in the present in reality. That was his job. He closed his eyes, wiping away the tears with his free hand. Okay, Scully, I want you to tell me what's happening now. It's over. They're closing the incisions, not with sutures. Her voice held a hint of surprise, a touch of curiosity. It's something like a cauterizing laser, I think, tiny and precise. There's pain, but it's very localized, more like a stinging sensation. I wonder what it is. I've never seen anything like it. He listened to her words, noting the sudden strength of her voice. A bubble of amazed laughter hovered in his throat. Only his scully could find a way to combine scientific curiosity with abject terror. They've finished the procedure. Now what's happening? Nothing. Nothing happens for a long time. Some of the doctors sit across the train compartment, talking among themselves. Two of them are in another area. It looks like a makeshift laboratory. They're looking at something. Her expression twisted with outrage. Something hurts deep inside me. They cut me. They took something out of me. Her voice rose to a wail. Oh, God, what have they taken out of me? She went rigid, her fists clenching. Mulder, I can't move. I can't move. I want to move. I want to kill them for what they've done to me. Goddamn bastards. What have you done to me? You sons of bitches. She flailed out, striking a painful blow against Mulder's cheek. He bit back a gasp of pain and tightened his grip on her knee. Scully, Scully, listen to me. Let's go back to that safe place now. Let's take a breather from this. Scully, are you listening to me? They took something out of me, Mulder. Her voice was soft, almost childlike, dark with hurt. They took something from me. He lowered his head, unable to bear the sight of her pain. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. He felt her hands in his hair stroking gently. Her voice was gentle when she spoke. Let's go to the safe place, Mulder. He looked up. She was still in a hypnogogic state, her eyes shut, tears trickling down her cheeks. Her forehead was wrinkled with concern, concern for him even now. He wanted to pull her into his arms and hold her. He settled for gently stroking her knee. We're in that safe place, Scully. We're safe now. I'm right here beside you. She breathed slowly, deeply. 
He felt her leg muscles loosening beneath his touch. I don't want to go back there, Mulder. He didn't either, not ever. That's okay, Scully. You don't have to go back there if you don't want to. Maybe what she'd remembered was enough to help them. It certainly raised enough terrifying questions. Do you want me to bring you out? Can we just stay here a little while, Mulder? Just you and me, right here? Sure. He moved his hand lightly over her knee, right here. Mulder didn't know how long he stayed that way, crouched in front of her, gently caressing her knee. Time unraveled. Only the soft click of his cassette recorder running out of tape disturbed the amazing sense of peace and communion. He reached out with his free hand and flipped the tape to the other side to record what was left of the session. Okay, Scully, are you ready for me to bring you out? She shook her head slowly. No, Mulder, I have to go back. He frowned. Scully, you don't have to. I do. I have to go back. There's more. She rolled her neck as if her muscles were stiffening up. Already he could feel the tension building up in her body again. There's more I need to remember, Scully. She didn't wait for him. Her chin jutted with resolve. I'm back on the train. It's dark in the compartment. They've finished their tests and they've gone to another part of the train. He took a deep breath and plunged in. Are you alone? There's a man with me. I can't see him, but I know he's here. I can hear him breathing. Are you still immobilized? Yes. I'm strapped down now, too, but I don't think I could move even if the straps weren't there. Tell me what you're hearing. Breathing. Soft. A little raspy. It's a man. I can tell it's a man. I smell something. Aftershave, maybe. Scotch. Very faint. Her nose wrinkled. Cigarette smoke. Mulder leaned forward, rage building at his core. Is it him? Is it Cancer Man? She frowned and shook her head slightly. No, the voice is wrong. A different, uh, different sound clipped. Hmm. It's familiar. I, I can't, I can't place it. The voice is familiar? No, just the accent. Um... Brahmin. Brahmin? Yeah, you know, New England. You have the same sound sometimes, once in a while. Mulder closed his eyes for a moment, trying not to think what he was thinking. The dossier on her comings and goings, that had been bad enough. He's next to me. I, I can feel the warmth of his body next to mine. Scully's voice rose slightly. Oh, God, he's touching me. He's touching my hand. His hand is hot, dry. It's so dark I can't see him. I'm so afraid. I don't want him to touch me. She wrung her hands as if shaking away the phantom hands in her memory. Is he hurting you? Mulder swallowed with difficulty, fighting a sudden surge of nausea. No, he's speaking again. He's saying my name very softly. Dana, she winced. I ask him how he knows me, and he tells me that they know all about me. Mulder closed his eyes. Does he say anything else? I ask him if he's going to hurt me. He tells me he's there to help me. He says he's there to watch out for me, to make sure I get back home safely to the people who care about me. Does he tell you who he is? She made a soft sound of frustration. He speaks in riddles. 
Riddles. I don't know. Riddles. Parables. He says that he's Agamemnon, that he must atone for his sin. Agamemnon. Mulder sat back on his heels, his heart thudding wildly in his chest. Agamemnon, the Greek king who sacrificed his daughter to ensure good winds for his fleet in the battle against Troy. Agamemnon, whose deed incurred the hatred of his wife. Oh God, it was his father. 8.45 p.m. The scream was weak, anguished, followed by a low, soothing murmur. Dana and Fox reliving nightmares together. Margaret Scully closed her eyes, spilling tears down her cheeks. She should never have agreed to stay in here. It was her house, her child. She should be out there with her child, with her children. She shouldn't be waiting in here. Life had taught Margaret about patience. Half her life seemed to have been spent waiting, waiting to grow up, waiting for William to realize she wasn't a little girl anymore waiting for her children to be born, waiting for her husband to come home from the sea. She had learned to fill the time by staying busy. Gardening, reading, cooking, teaching, she'd packed the hours of waiting so full that she'd hardly noted the passage of time. Her friends complimented her on her industry. Her family took pride in her accomplishments, and eventually she'd come to understand that what she was doing wasn't really waiting. She was simply living. Waiting was a darker, colder thing. Waiting was pacing in the corridor of a hospital in the middle of the night until a doctor emerged to tell you that the love of your life, the father of your children, was gone. Waiting was months of wondering where your baby girl was, what was happening to her, who had taken her. Waiting was watching your eldest daughter's life seep away before your eyes. Waiting was listening to a nightmare being played out on the other side of the wall and knowing that there was nothing you could do to stop it. The screams came again. In agony, Margaret waited. 9.09 p.m. I don't know how long I've been unconscious. It, it feels like forever. Scully's voice was weak, raspy. I know I am tired, so tired. Mulder sat at her feet, his hand still closed around her knee. He was tired, too. Tired and hurting in ways he didn't even want to think about. After the first procedure she had described, there had been more. More mysterious extractions, more pain. Time had ceased to mean anything to her, days blurring into nights. Regard for her as a human being was non-existent. She remembered being strapped to a gurney for hours at a time catheterized, fed through a tube in her stomach. They left her naked, exposed, while they went about their work around her, oblivious to her humiliation. Only one man bothered to treat her with any dignity whatsoever, the man who called himself Agamemnon. Mulder's father, he was more convinced now than ever. He's here, Scully murmured. Mulder lifted his head wearily and looked up into her pale face. Agamemnon? Yes. He covers me with a sheet and touches my hand. His eyes. His eyes are haunted. I think he was not prepared for what he's seen here. Not prepared? He's not one of them. One of your captors? I know he's not another prisoner, but he's not like the others either. What he sees them doing to me, 
it pains him, but when I beg him to help me, her voice trailed away. What does he do? He looks away. He's afraid, afraid of them. Her brow creased suddenly. He's arguing. I, I hear his voice. It's loud, slurred. Mulder took a shuddery breath. I smell the scotch he's been drinking. He drinks for courage, I think, but his courage fails him. What are he and the others arguing about? Me. He asks them why they have kept me so long when the others have been released. The others? You mean the other women you met? Yes, they've been returned. I'm the only one who remains. Agamemnon wants to know why. What is he told? That I'm being taken to another place for a final procedure, but first... No! Her sharp cry sliced through his taxed nervous system like a razor blade. His heart pounded. His fingers tightened on her knee. Breathe, Scully, breathe. That's it. What's happening? What are you seeing? Her face crumpled as if she had reached the utter end of her emotional reserves. They're putting something in my neck. Her last word elided into a heartbroken whimper. He laid his head atop his hand where it rested on her knee. The session had gone on too long. He'd let her continue too long. But she was so determined to keep going, to remember everything, rid her mind of the horrors. She wanted it over. She didn't want to return to the past again. He didn't want her to either, not for all the answers in the world. I'm turning down the pain, she whispered, and he lifted his head, kicking himself for his brief moment of inattention. He was weakening, losing his focus. He should bring her out. The world is spinning. I'm dizzy. Oh, my stomach. I'm throwing up. She made a choking sound. I'm, I can't breathe. Can't move. I'm choking. Scully, let's go back to the, he's turning me over so I don't choke. Who? Agamemnon. He's always there when it's over. I'm so off balance. I think it must be what they put in my neck. He's helping me, cleaning me. Scully. She ignored him and forged ahead. He's afraid. He says he can't be there long. Someone's coming. Does he tell you anything? Just that he can't stay long, but that he's trying to help me. He tells me to be strong, that he's trying to help me, but things may get worse. Worse? How could things get worse? Mulder closed his eyes. I smell smoke. He opened his eyes. Is there a fire? No, tobacco smoke. Is Agamemnon back? No, not him. He was sent away. Her lip curled in disgust. God, Mulder, it's him. Who, cancer man? She gave a weak nod. I can't see him. The compartment is dark, but I hear his voice. I know it's him. He's speaking. He's talking to someone. The, the man who was arguing with Agamemnon. I can't make, I can't make out sentences. I'm sorry. He rubbed her knee. It's okay. Can you make out words? Something, something about another test. She made a low moaning sound of fear and his heart contracted. Mulder, they're taking me away. He didn't know if he could take any more. Scully, let's go back. Everything's black now. I can't, I, I can't see. I'm having trouble hearing. Her voice faded away. 
Mulder waited for her to speak again, but she didn't. Not for a minute. Two minutes. He shifted slightly, wondering if she had gone to her safe place. Are you in your mother's kitchen? He asked, in the safe place. She didn't answer right away. He frowned, anxiety building. He opened his mouth to call her name, but she spoke first. I'm dying, Mulder. The words froze his blood. Her voice was faint, far away. Her body slumped with weariness. Her lips were dry and bloodless. I don't know how long it has been since I was conscious. I don't know if I'm conscious now. I can't see anything. I can't hear. I can only feel. What do you feel? I feel my body dying. Even the pain is dying. Tears oozed from the corners of her eyes. I don't want to die, but I can't stop it. You're not dying, Scully. He gripped her knee tightly. Feel my hand on your knee. Remember, I'm here and I won't let anything happen. I don't want to die, Mulder. I'm so afraid that I'm going to die. And I won't be able to tell you. He couldn't bear any more, not one thing more. Scully, let's go back to the safe place. Come back with me to the safe place. It's time to leave. No, I can't leave yet, she moaned, weakly turning her head back and forth as if trying to elude the grasp of death itself. I have to tell you. I have to. You can tell me in the safe place, Scully. In desperation, he removed his hand from her knee to break the spell. She gasped aloud as if he'd ripped the air from her lungs. No, no, I have to tell you, Mulder. Her cry was little more than a weak murmur. Don't. I need you, Mulder. She wasn't coming with him. She was back there in her own private hell, and he'd betrayed her with his weakness, his fear. Like father, like son. No. He laid his head against her knee, her linen pants rasping against his damp cheek. I'm here, Scully. Feel me? Her hands fluttered against his hair like pale butterflies. Yes, I'm here. I need to tell you something before I die. I'm so afraid I'm going to die and you'll never know that I didn't betray you, not ever. Her words came out in a rush, as if she were racing death to speak her peace. They wanted me to destroy you, but I never. I know you must blame me for losing the X-Files, but I never gave them anything. I know. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I think you must have hated me from the first, and I'm so afraid that I'll die without knowing if you still do. She wept bitterly now, her small body shaking. He dared not hold her as he wanted to, afraid to do anything to jar her in this state. But he turned his head and pressed his lips against her leg, then put his hand over her knee again. He looked up into her tear-streaked face. Never. I wanted to hate you, Scully. I knew they sent you to ruin me. I knew you were the enemy. But no matter how I tried, I couldn't hate you. I never could. I thought I couldn't bear to have you in my life, Scully. But I know now that I can't bear to be without you in my life. He pressed his forehead against the back of the hand on her knee. Before you came, I trusted only myself. But now you're the only one I trust, Scully. The only one. She touched his head again, her fingers gentle against his temple. Let's go back to the safe place, Mulder. Let's go back. He took a deep breath and looked up. 
We're back in your mother's kitchen now, Scully. The sunlight is still bright. Your mother is still at the stove cooking. She turns to look at you. She smiles, and you feel safe and warm. I see the hummingbird outside the window. He's small and full of energy, she said. Her voice was raspy from overuse, but it was stronger, more sure. I want you to stay here for just a few minutes, Scully. Stay here and enjoy the peaceful feeling. You remember nothing painful, nothing that frightens you. You think only of happy things. In a few minutes, I'm going to bring you back out. And when you wake up, you'll remember only the things you want to remember. You don't have to remember anything that frightens you or pains you. We have the tape for that, right? The tape will remember for you. She nodded slowly. Will you stay with me? I'm going to leave the room for just a minute. Just a minute. You stay here in the kitchen where it's safe, and I'll be right back, I promise. You trust me to come back, don't you? I trust you, Mulder. She sounded like a child. He brushed away his tears with his free hand. On the count of three, I'm going to take my hand away from your knee, but it will be okay because you know I'm coming right back. Yes. One, two, three. He slowly withdrew his hand and pushed himself to his feet. Stiff from remaining so long in a crouched position, his body protested. His legs felt like rubber and wobbled a bit as he hurried down the hall to Mrs. Scully's room. She must have heard his approach, for she opened the door before he could lift his hand to knock. Is it over? He nodded. I want you to be there when I bring her out, like we discussed. Is she okay? He passed his hand over his burning eyes. I think so. Mrs. Scully put her hand on his arm. How about you? He couldn't bring himself to utter the lie. No, he admitted. She squeezed his arm, her eyes filling with tears. For a moment, he swayed toward her, wanting nothing more than for this good woman to hold him and let him cry on her strong shoulder. But he stopped himself. He stepped back, gesturing toward the doorway. She went into the living room ahead of him. Scully sat on the sofa, her face tear-stained and white, but her brow was smooth, her body seemed relaxed, she was still in the safe place. Margaret hovered near the couch while Mulder sat in the armchair again, leaning towards Scully. I'm going to count to three, and then you'll feel my hand on your knee again. When you feel this, when you feel the weight and the warmth, you'll open your eyes. You'll feel as if you've had a long sleep. You'll remember only what you want to remember, only what you feel safe remembering. One, two, three. He put his hand on her knee. Scully's eyes fluttered open. She looked at him, her eyes slightly unfocused. Mulder? He stroked her knee gently. Welcome back. She lifted her fingers to her cheek, tracing the tears. A small frown furrowed her forehead. I... I feel strange. You want a glass of water? She nodded. Margaret went into the kitchen to get it. Scully's eyes followed her mother, a hint of a smile crossing her lips. I remember that, she murmured. I remember the safe place. Mulder lifted his hand to her cheek, wiping away an errant tear. What else do you remember? Anything? She met his wary gaze. He could see her mind working, searching, delving. Sadness crept into her eyes. 
No, it's like a dream. I know there was something, but I don't remember details, just... She looked away, her gaze dropping to her hands. She flexed her fingers, wincing. My hands are cramping. That was fairly common after a protracted regression session, Mulder knew. He took her hands in his and gently massaged the taut muscles. Let Dr. Mulder take care of this, he teased. I'm sorry. I know you wanted me to remember, she glanced at him. Did I? Remember during the session? Yes, a few things. He tried not to betray his anguish, but he could tell from her crestfallen expression that he'd failed. She pulled one hand from his and touched his cheek. I'm sorry. Do you want to hear the tape? He prayed that she would say no. He didn't want to hear it again. Yes, she sounded wary but resolute. He closed his eyes for a moment. Her fingers brushed his cheek again. I need to know. He met her gaze. I know. 11.48 p.m. Scully sat in stunned silence as Mulder shut off the tape player. On the couch beside her, her mother was weeping quietly. Her own eyes were dry. She couldn't connect the voice she'd heard on the tape to herself. She remembered almost none of the experiences she had related under hypnosis. She rubbed her hand over her abdomen, recalling the nightmarish recounting of the invasive procedures she spoken of on the tape. Confabulation, she murmured. Mulder's eyes met hers. You remember none of it? More to the point, Mulder, I have no scars beyond the one in my neck that would have to be present in the case of such procedures as I described on the tape, nor do I have any missing organs. He passed his hand over his stubble jaw. Something happened to you, Scully, something more than having a chip placed subcutaneously in your neck, or you'd never have turned up in a coma near death. I'm not arguing that, Mulder. I have no doubt that some sort of test was performed on me, but it didn't happen the way I described it under hypnosis. She waited for a flicker of impatience to cross his weary features, but it never came. He doesn't want to believe those things happened to me, she realized. Amazing. Fox Mulder doesn't want to believe. What do you remember? Her mother asked softly. She wrinkled her brow, considering the question. I remember my abduction. I remember being tied up in the trunk and the trip to Skyland Mountain. I remember the helicopter landing. Beyond that, she didn't know if anything beyond that could really be called memory. Impressions might be a better word. I recall a bright light. I see flashes, people's faces, Dr. Ishimaru. I saw him there, Mulder. Like I told you when I first saw that picture of the 731. I think I have a sense of an alarm sounding. I vaguely recall voices though I can't begin to tell you what they're saying. Do you remember the one you called Agamemnon? She had wondered how long it would take for him to ask about that. She had seen by the expression on his face while listening to the tape that he believed Agamemnon was his father. Mulder, I doubt there was an Agamemnon. That's a pretty specific detail to confabulate, Scully. Not necessarily. We both know that the mind doesn't just compartmentalize itself. Just because I regressed doesn't mean I didn't bring the sum total of my knowledge and experiences there with me, right? 
He nodded slowly, waiting for her to continue. We have circumstantial evidence indicating that your father may have been at least peripherally involved in my abduction. So you conjured him up, named him Agamemnon, and made him your personal guardian angel? Maybe, she sighed, rubbing her temples. She could tell he wasn't sold on the story, but she was too tired to argue with him. Look, Mulder, we're all tired. She pushed to her feet, swaying a little as her knees wobbled. Her muscles were tight and sore, as if she'd been running for hours. Why don't you go home? He raked his hand through his hair, pushing it off his forehead. What about you? I'm going to talk to Mom for a little while, then I'll head home too. Maybe you should spend the night here, her mother suggested. Both of you, she added, glancing at Mulder. No, Mom, you've already gone above and beyond on this one. Scully slipped her arm through her mother's. But thanks. Mulder stepped back from them both, his expression shuddered. Scully's right, Mrs. Scully. We can talk about everything in the morning. It's late, and we're all tired. He crossed to the coat rack near the door and retrieved his suit jacket and overcoat. Scully, call me when you get home, okay? She nodded, acutely aware of the distance between them. She could understand his need to take a step back, however. She might not be able to remember the events of the hypnosis session, but he obviously did. And judging from the tape, the experience had been intensely painful for him. She shouldn't have put him through this. It was a bad idea, she told her mother after Mulder left. Margaret put her arm around Scully's shoulder and led her into the kitchen. Scully sat automatically in the same chair she'd occupied since she was a small child, the one to the right of her father's empty place, where she'd sat when she retreated to her safe place during the hypnosis. Margaret sat in Ahab's chair and closed her hand over Scully's. You don't believe that any of those memories could be real? Some portion of them, maybe, Scully admitted. But obviously, if I'd undergone all the procedures I remembered on the tape, my abdomen would look like a roadmap of scars. She turned her hand over palm to palm with her mother's hand. Wouldn't it? Her mother inclined her head. I'm sure you're right. No, you're not. Scully stared at her mother, surprised. Dana, what I heard on that tape, you were terrified. Her mother's eyes filled with tears. You sounded like a lost child, and I haven't heard you sound that way since you were a little girl. Scully blinked back tears, burning her eyes. I don't remember it, Mom. I don't want to remember it, okay? She let go of her mother's hand and rose from the table. She paced in agitation, pushing away the memory of the screams she'd heard on the tape. Look at the evidence, Scully. The evidence can't be wrong. Fact, she had no scars on her abdomen consistent or even inconsistent with one laparoscopic procedure, much less several. Fact, the only physical evidence she had from her missing time was a tiny metal chip that had been effectively destroyed by Agent Pendrell when he was attempting to analyze its properties. Fact, the framework of her memories was remarkably consistent with all the pieces of the puzzle she and Mulder had already uncovered by old-fashioned detective work. There were no other implants. After the MUFON women had told her about Betsy Hagopian's undiagnosed cancer, Scully had undergone extensive diagnostic tests, 
including a battery of x-rays and ultrasounds. If anything had been implanted or extracted, she'd know it. If anything, her recovered memories were probably nothing more than her subconscious mind trying to fit the pieces together to fill in the blanks. She stopped pacing and turned to look at her mother. I'm sorry, Mom. I'm sorry you had to go through this. I wasn't the only one, Dana. She was talking about Mulder, Scully knew. Poor Mulder. She'd certainly put him through hell tonight, then sent him home alone to brood about it. I shouldn't have done that to him, Mom. I've just given him one more reason to kick himself. She shook her head. He blames himself for everything, and I'm afraid I've only given him more ammunition. She clutched the back of her chair, lowering her head, flexing her neck. She was sore and tired, and if she dared to admit it, scared. Because there was another fact she hadn't addressed, the fact that whether or not her memories were real or confabulated, something had happened to her. Something had stripped her of her memory and her health and left her lying near death on a respirator at Northeast Georgetown Medical Center three and a half years ago. Something evil. Something so terrifying her conscious mind refused to remember. Margaret rose and placed her hand on Scully's arm. Are you sure you won't stay the night, honey? Scully shook her head. I just want to go to my own place and sleep in my own bed. I, I need to reconnect with myself. Margaret nodded, closing her eyes for a brief moment as if in pain. When she opened her eyes again, she opened her arms. Call me when you get home. Scully's chuckle was a bit watery. Nag, 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 she murmured, allowing her mother to enfold her in a warm embrace. The tears she was trying to hold back spilled from her eyes, but it was okay. It was her mother. It was her safe place. Hallway outside Dana Scully's apartment, 12.29 a.m. Mulder sat in the hallway outside Scully's apartment, wondering if one of her neighbors was calling the police at that moment to report the strange man sitting outside apartment 5. He could have used the spare key she'd given him a while back, but after tonight, he thought it best not to invade her space without her permission. He wanted her to feel in control, and walking into her apartment to find him waiting there was not the way to do that. He glanced at his watch. 12.30. Maybe she'd decided to stay at her mom's house after all. Maybe she'd left a message on his answering machine. No, she'd have tried his cellular phone. He pulled the phone from his pocket to make sure it was in working order. It was. He leaned his head back against the wall, closing his eyes. He was so tired, wiped, barely able to function. He should have gone home, he supposed. What could he say or do that couldn't wait until morning? He couldn't erase what had happened to her. He couldn't give her back the missing months. He was useless to her. Worse than useless, he was dangerous to her. Deadly. He pushed himself off the floor, wobbling a little as his aching thigh muscles trembled from his weight. He placed his hand against the wall for support, then turned and slumped against the wall, defeated. He couldn't leave her, even for her own good. It was his most glaring weakness. After several moments more, he heard soft footsteps coming around the corner. The cadence was slower, more weary than usual, 
but he knew it was Scully. He felt it in his marrow. She gave a start as she rounded the corner and saw him there. Mulder! Hi, Scully. She slowly closed the distance between them, pulling her keys from her jacket pocket. I thought you were going home. Just wanted to make sure you got home safely. You couldn't have just called? She opened the door and entered, flicking on the light. He closed the door behind them. But that's so impersonal, Scully. She turned to face him, her expression a mixture of exasperation and affection. You plan to borrow my couch again? If you don't mind. Me sofa as tu sofa, she graced him with a lopsided smile. How about your bathroom? An odd look darkened her eyes for a moment, and he wondered what she was thinking. But the moment passed and she gestured toward the hallway. I'll be in my room. He went to the bathroom and relieved himself, pausing as he was washing his hands to look around the tidy room. It smelled like sunshine and sea spray, the undeniable scent of Dana Scully. He breathed the fragrance, filled his lungs with her essence. He found comfort in the mere fact of her nearness, the fact that she was just beyond the door, just a few feet away, breathing, heart beating. There had been a time he'd not been able to say that, a horrible time he'd relived in stark, horrific detail tonight. The bathroom opened into a narrow hall. From the bathroom doorway, Mulder could look straight into Scully's bedroom if the door was open. And it was open. Scully stood in front of a full-length mirror, already dressed for bed in a pair of gray silk pajamas. She held the front of the nightshirt up, bearing her stomach to the mirror. Looking for scars, he realized. She caught sight of him in the mirror, her eyes closed, and she turned to face him. Come here, Mulder. He stared at her for a moment, unable to draw a breath. She was so beautiful, so small, delicate-looking. He knew that she was anything but delicate, but that knowledge only made the illusion of fragility somehow more intoxicating. Such an enigma, an endless puzzle. He crossed the hall and entered her bedroom. She held out her hand to him and his heart began to race. He closed the distance between them, placing his hand in hers. She drew him toward the bed. His mouth went dry. I want you to look at something, she murmured. She released his hand and lifted the hem of her pajama top, bunching the soft gray silk just beneath her breasts. He stared at her for a second, his mind sluggish. Then he realized what she wanted him to do. He knelt in front of her and bent his face close to her bare white stomach. The skin was smooth, taut, milky white. No scars, Mulder, she murmured. He lifted his hand and touched the small swell of her lower abdomen. The skin was flawless. No scars. He ran his fingers over the soft, hot skin, circling the small indentation of her navel. No scars. He traced the flat of her abdomen below her ribcage. No scars. His vision blurred with tears. He wanted to believe. He wanted to. She cupped his chin and lifted his face, forcing him to look up at her. His tears softened her image, painted her in watercolors. She stroked his jaw, whispered his name. To his surprise and horror, he realized that the low, keening noises he was hearing were coming from his own throat. 
Embarrassment swept over him in a hot wave, and he tried to draw away from her, wanting to hide. He couldn't seem to stop the shuddering half-sobs that stole his breath. She clutched him, not letting him go. He stared into her loving, compassionate gaze and felt a dam break inside himself. Pain and anger and guilt spilled through the breach, and he shook and shattered from the onslaught. Beyond denial, beyond shame, he pressed his face against her stomach and let her hold him while he cried. If you like this story, please follow the link to the writer's page and leave some love. Kudos, comments, or subscribe. They'll love hearing from you. Then you can head over to our Patreon page and contribute to Audio Fanfic Podcast. As a member, you are granted early access to one new story per month. That's www.patreon.com slash audiofanficpod. Thank you for listening, and remember, the stories are out there. <laughs>